Well, what's up, guys? How are you? How are we feeling tonight? Good? Um, my name is Joey McLaughlin, and if you're new, then you may be asking yourself, like, who's that guy? And if you've been around here for a while, then you know that I'm the lead pastor here. Um, but it's been a couple of weeks since I've preached because our elders and staff and leadership team are so gracious to give some of our teaching pastors a break during the summer because I want to be doing this crazy thing with you guys for 30 years down the road. And so it gives us an opportunity to just rest and build into ourselves throughout the summer. And, um, uh, and, and I cannot wait to be back preaching, and I actually will be back preaching next week closing out this house of prayer series and I've got a series coming up in August when I'm going to yell at you guys y'all are not ready for it and then we got a vision series in September that is just going to be absolutely epic and so I'm like chomping at the bit to get back up here and um, preach for you guys but tonight we've got a special treat um, our executive pastor of our church uh, Mike Reinsel is going to be bringing the word tonight and uh, many of you guys don't know him, don't know what that means or who he is, but at the end of tonight, I think that you're going to see how truly blessed you are to be able to hear from Mike. I've known Mike for about four or five years now, and Mike was a, originally an attender of our church and uh, through just a journey actually ended up coming on staff. And um, what I've gotten to know about Mike is he is a man who practices what he preaches. And as Joe talked about last night, he practices the things that he prays. And of all the people that I know in my life, there are very few people who pray with such consistent consistency, tenacity, and passion. And when he's like talking to the Lord, when he's praying, I'm just like, I want to know Jesus like you know Jesus. They just seem to have this intimate, deep, and real connection. And um, I could not feel more confident to put somebody up here to teach you not just about pray, but uh, about prayer, but how to actually pray for yourselves. And so I want for you to be engaged. I want for you to lean in. I want for you to say, amen, come on, <laughs> preach it. Um, give this man a round of applause. Show him some honors. He comes to the stage to bring the word tonight. Uh, thank you, brother. All right there. Good save right off the bat. So, Joey, thanks for that. Um, Joey, uh, kind introduction. Uh, as Joey said, I'm the executive pastor over our churches. That means a lot of things in a lot of different places. But for our churches, it means that I get to lead the people and the operations and the strategy that undergirds the vision that God has given Stephen Gibbs as our senior pastor, Pastor Joey is the pastor of this church. And it's a high honor for me to be able to serve in that role. Uh, Christina, my wife, is here with me. We have three kids, two grandkids. My mom worships at Stone Creek. We are all in in the Stone Creek family, um, all of us but one. My daughter, Carly, who's 25 years old, about 18 months ago, she moved to Australia to the land down under. I was texting with her yesterday, and I was like, babe, I'm, I'm giving the word tomorrow. Are you going to be online? Are you going to be watching? And she's like, dad. We are 14 hours ahead of you. It's going to be early in the morning, and I love you, but I will catch you on YouTube. <laughs> so I grew up, I'm statistically rare, I grew up knowing about Jesus, but I gave my life to Jesus, surrendered my life to Jesus at 32, and that is statistically rare. The Barna Group would tell you that 94% of people who give their lives to Jesus actually do that before the age of 18. And that's why the NowGen ministry is so important, so vital to the ministry of our church of investing in kids and students and our Camp Arrowhead down at the Stone Creek campus because that is the low-hanging fruit. That is the greatest opportunity that we have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Now, I'm kind of a, a chameleon, a, a little bit of a business background with a pastor's heart. And when I met Jesus at 32, I immediately um, left a business partnership. So I was in a flooring business with a guy. He wasn't a believer. And when I met Jesus, um, I had kind of the breakup conversation that you have with a girl. I said, I've changed. It's me, not you. You keep going with this business. And Christine and I started a new flooring business to honor God within that business environment. And I don't know what Christian business even means, but we just wanted to make Jesus famous in that business environment. And so as that business grew up, God just led the right people. He led the, um, just some amazing people of God into that business. And there were Bible studies organically going on throughout the business during the week. We were leading people to Christ in the office. We were making more money than we ever thought we would make. We were giving more money to the kingdom than we ever thought we would be able to give away. And we were just rocking the world as we knew it. And then um, we, we, we were making so much money that we were living up in Milton, Alpharetta area at the time, and my wife and daughter were showing horses. And so we kind of got on the American dream, and we built our dream house. We Both of them showing horses. It had the riding ring and the stables and um, the pool and the beautiful house and all of that. And we were just rocking the world as we knew it. And we had arrived, and we were faithful to God. But then... God started speaking, quietly at first and then a little bit more loudly. And I got to confess that I don't really have those burning bush moments in my prayer time, but this was the closest thing to the audible voice of God that I've ever heard. God spoke clearly and simply, and he said, Mike, I want you to sell the house and serve me. Sell the house and serve me. That was over 15 years ago, but I remember that season of prayer really well. And I remember the day that I came home to share that great news with Christina. I was really excited. Um, did I mention that this was her dream house? Um, I would describe my wife, Christina, as a spicy margarita. She is spicy on the inside. She's a little salty around the rim. And when she enters into the room, there is life and energy and truth that enters into that room. And I told Christina, I said, I think God spoke. And she said, what does that mean? I said, I think he wants us to sell the house, be debt-free, mortgage-free, and serve him full-time in vocational ministry. And she looked at me with all the spiritual energy that she could muster, and she said, well, he ain't said it to me. <laughs> I said, babe, will you at least pray about it? And she says, no, I'm not really interested in the prayer program. I know what God does in that. And so she's a type A personality. I know to let it go. And so for a couple of weeks, I just let it go. And finally, she came back to me. She said, honey, I'll tell you what. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to pray specifically if this is God and not you, because I think it might be you and not God, that he'll give us a full price offer in a short period of time. So that was kind of the fleece that Christina threw out. She said, if it's God's voice, we'll get a quick sale and a full price offer. Literally, one week later, I get a call from the real estate agent. He said, Mike, this guy looked at your house. He wants to meet you over there and ask some questions about the house. So I meet him over there. We walk around the house, talk about all that stuff. And at the end of our conversation, we're standing out in the driveway. And John looks at me and he says, Mike, can I ask you a personal question? I said, sure. He said, if this is your wife's dream house, it's close to work, school, church, all of that, why are you selling? 
I said, John, that's a great question, and I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but here's what God is stirring up in me and in my prayer time and in my family, and I just poured it out there for about 10 minutes. And John looked at me, and he said, thank you. And I thought, well, that's held over the top. <laughs> the next morning, he calls me early in the morning. He says, Mike, we need to grab lunch today. And over lunch, he sets down his stuff. He's a real methodical person, and he said, Mike, my wife and I were praying last night. And we feel like your house is the right house for our family, but we also feel like God connected to you, us to you to avail you for whatever he has for you in ministry and mission, and we would like to give you a full price offer on your house. Two weeks later, full price offer, that was the fleece that Christina threw out, and, and I'll, I just got to say that God answers prayers differently, and we hear God differently. Christina would tell you that she is a two-by-four girl. She would say, God whispers to you, but he's got to whack me with a two-by-four for me to be able to hear that it is the voice of God. And she would say that that moment was her two-by-four moment, and that was the transition of our family's journey into full-time vocational ministry. So I love that the first time that I get to share here at Elevate City Church that it's talking about prayer because prayer is a deep passion for me. I've seen prayer change me. I've seen it change people around me. And I've seen it change circumstances that were literally unchangeable but for God. We are in the middle of a series called House of Prayer 2. Let me hear you say House of Prayer. House of Prayer 1 was back in March. You might remember it was based on Isaiah 56, 6 and 7, that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And I really believe that God is honoring our church's deeper focus on prayer right now. Part of the scripture that we just read might be familiar to you, that God would do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think. Because that was the scripture around our Beyond campaign. Now, most of you weren't around during the Beyond campaign, actually this church was birthed out of the Beyond campaign. But that was an extraordinary prayer-filled effort and people were incredibly generous as God showed up. And we did amazing things together. We launched this church in Sandy Springs. We invested really deep with a ministry called She is Safe that empowers women out of human trafficking. We built a church in Nicaragua with Compassion International. We eliminated a big chunk of the church's debt. That's almost gone now. And I could go on and on, but a big moment of God through prayer and generosity of his people. This series, House of Prayer 2, is a shorter series. It's only three weeks long. Three prayers that Paul prayed for the church. Last week, Joe Baker taught on Paul's prayer in his letter to Philemon. It was a great message about forgiveness and about prayer. Next week, Pastor Joey will be down at uh, or up at Stone Creek and here preaching and he'll be talking about Paul's prayer to the church in Philippi. And today I get to share the passage from Ephesians. That's a prayer that Paul wrote as a part of a longer letter that he would have written to the church in Ephesus. And it was written to house churches. It wasn't a big gathering like this or up at Stone Creek. It was more smaller house churches and that letter would have been passed around house to house, church to church, and shared with those community, and they would have read together Paul's prayer. So 
why are we doing another series on prayer? I mean, why this ongoing focus on prayer for our churches? Why do we keep saying that prayer is so important? Because prayer isn't just a part of having a relationship with God. No, prayer is central to the power God desires for us. So let me ask you a question this, this evening. Who is the most powerful person of prayer that you know? Think about that for just a second. Who is the most powerful person that you personally know? If you were just diagnosed with cancer, you were going through some other terminal illness, going through a divorce, you lost a loved one, whatever the tragedy was, you would call this person because you knew two things about them. You knew that they would pray, and you knew that they have the experience of praying effective prayers. Miriam and Marzier were born in Iran to Muslim families. Each was led to Christ in Iran, and they separately moved to Turkey where they met in 2005 through a ministry that was teaching about Jesus and distributing Bibles to Turkish Muslims. They became fast friends, and just wanting to share Jesus with their own people in Iran, they moved back from Turkey to Iran, and collectively over the next few years, they gave away literally 20,000 Bibles in a country where it's illegal to share the gospel, to talk about Jesus, or to distribute Bibles. And then in March of 2009, their apartment in Iran was raided. Their Bibles were confiscated. They were arrested for apostasy, basically for leaving the Islamic faith and embracing a relationship for Je with Jesus. And they were sentenced to Evan Prison, the worst, most notorious prison in Iran. Evan Prison houses the most hardened criminals and allows the most horrific of circumstances. They watched rapes. They murdered, they witnessed murders, they experienced torture firsthand, and they lived through unspeakable atrocities as they were imprisoned together in an overcrowded cell. And every week, the prison guards would come into their cell. They would chain them up, and they would walk them out and put them in front of the guards, and the guards would say, if you will just deny Jesus, we will let you go immediately. And every week... These beautifully, the beautiful 20-something-year-old women would say, no, I'm not going to deny my Jesus. Christine and I learned about Miriam and Marzier as part of a prayer group that was committed to praying daily for their strength, for their safety, for their release, and knowing that only a miracle of God could bring about their release. We would pray passionate prayers for God to work a miracle. But honestly, we also lived in the reality that short of a miracle of God, that these two young, beautiful women in their late 20s would likely die in prison simply for having placed their faith in Jesus and for having the courage to share that relationship with other non-believers in their country. So church, what if we prayed prayers as big and as bold as these women prayed? What if we had the faith and the conviction and the confidence that these two women had. What do you think God would do with prayers like that if they were to raise, rise out of the prayers here this evening? I have a question for you, just a quick show of hands. How many of you wish you prayed more consistently, more deeply, and more effectively? Raise your hand, my hand's up. Honestly, 
Okay, look around the room. The majority of the people in this room are saying that they want to pray different prayers. And I get it, just telling you that we should pray is not a profound insight. I don't think there's anyone here this evening that's saying, wow, Mike, thank you, what a great revelation. I've been a Christian for five years and nobody told me I was supposed to be praying. But I know from my personal experience, and I suspect from the hands that went up in the room here this evening, that most of us wish we were better at prayer. So what if there was one thing, one thing that if you were to improve that could change the rest of your life, change the lives of the people around you, and literally change eternity? Well, church, I believe that one thing is prayer. So let's jump into the text from today to answer one question, how do I become better at prayer? Now I'm going to break Paul's uh, prayer that we read earlier into three different sections that I hope will teach us three different valuable lessons to make us better at prayer. So here's the first section starting in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now if you were to back up to the beginning of chapter 3, Paul is talking about sharing the gospel with Gentiles. Now, he was called to share the gospel with Jews, but the gospel was meant for Jews, for Gentiles, for Greeks, for all people. And so Paul is so overwhelmed with the responsibility of this that he literally can, under, can find no other position or posture than on his knees. So here's the first lesson. Our place and our posture of prayer matter. Paul says that he bows on his knees before the Father, and this wouldn't have been the norm in the day. If you were a Jew or a Christian in that day, you would have prayed standing up with your arms outstretched. That was how you would pray. Now, for most of us, I think our prayer is probably finding a comfortable chair, a cozy blanket, a hot cup of coffee. We set our Bible down and pray, and that's not a bad thing. I'm glad that you're praying like that. But what if we experience the inconvenience and the discomfort of praying from our knees? I go by Pastor Stephen Gibbs' office. His office is right across mine down up at Stone Creek. And I go by his office often. And when his door is closed, he's usually working on a message. And I literally see him on his knees several times a week praying for the church and for the message that he has for that Sunday. What an amazing example for our church. So what if you changed the place and the posture of how you pray? If you got in a quiet place away from distractions, you got on your knees purely out of reverence to Father, and you positioned yourself as being desperate and dependent before God. I have a friend, John Bress, down in Dallas, Texas. John is six foot six. He's tatted up head to toe. He is a former addict. He's a former homeless man. I mean, this guy's complete life has been a train wreck. But he taught me something I didn't even know I needed to learn. John taught me a daily desperate dependence on God. You see, I never needed that because I was successful and only needed God when I fell short of myself. 
praying with John would be uncomfortable, bordering on embarrassing. We would be in a restaurant, and he would literally get on his knees, lift his hands up, and pray in the middle of the restaurant. In Milton, Alpharetta, Sandy Springs, few of us pray desperate prayers. We don't have to because we're self-sufficient. And we have most of what we need without God, and we use God simply as the backstop when things don't go how we planned or we fall short of our own abilities. Nearly 20 years ago, a friend of mine encouraged me to go to a Trappist monastery in Conyers to spend the day in prayer. And I didn't tell my friend this, but the first time I went, I thought there is no way that I can spend an entire day in prayer. And I admit that I was uncomfortable and I was intimidated. But guess what happened? The first time I went there, I experienced the presence of God in a way that I never had before. I just felt like God met me there. And every time I've gone there, literally every time I've gone there for the past 20 years, month after month after month, it's the one place I know that I will go and always encounter Father. For my first eight years of going to the monastery, I never talked to a human being, just God. I was drawn back each time to the feeling of the presence of God meeting me there, and he always did. And then one day, after eight years of going, I met one of the 50 monks who lived there, and he would meet with me for an hour each time each month when I went there for prayer. If there are experts in prayer, these guys are it. I mean, they're like the Navy SEALs of prayer. They spend hour after hour in prayer. It's their calling, it's their ministry, it's their passion, and that's what they live for. They are deeply committed to it, and they are really, really good at it. And this monk taught me that real prayer, real prayer, simply meant coming into the presence of God. And so every month since, for 20 years, when I go to that monastery for my monthly day of prayer, it reminds me that prayer isn't a duty to be completed, but a highly privileged relationship to embrace. And I've learned that the place and the posture in my daily prayer influences my perspective and my power in prayer. And my perspective, frankly, has shifted greatly from how much time do I need to spend with God in prayer to I wonder how much time God will spend with me today in my prayer. Church, our place and our posture matter. The second section in Ephesians starts in verse 17. Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The second thing that I think Paul is talking about in his prayer is dwelling in the presence of God. St. Augustine would call it withness. Withness, a withness to God, the state of being closely connected to God. And Augustine taught that being with God is so much more important than doing for God. The second lesson of Paul's prayer for us is that God's deep desire for us 
is for us to be with him first and to do for him leading out of that. And church, that happens most and best through prayer. If we want to walk in spiritual power, we have to be people of prayer. And if we want to be people of prayer, we have to prioritize the time to do it. Jesus modeled witness in how he inter interacted with his father. He consistently left massive crowds of people just to be with his father. Not to do things for him, but simply to be in his presence. We're going to have some scripture verses come up on screen, and I'm just going to roll through them quickly, but I think it tells us the importance that Jesus placed on being with his father in prayer. Matthew 14, 23 says, And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Luke 6 and 12 says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Mark 1, 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke 5, 16, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And Ephesians 6, 18, be with God first through prayer and let our good work come out of that. I think we often get that confused as the church and as God's people. Sometimes even as church staff, we get it twisted. We do for God first and we spend time to be with him only with the time that's left over at the end. And frankly, that needs to be reversed. Church, our busyness is the enemy of our witness. Let me say that again. Our busyness is the enemy of our witness to God. And can I just say something that will probably be a little bit controversial tonight? And before I say this, I just want to say that I'm not anti-electronics, and this is something that I struggle with too. But I think for many of us, our electronic devices are literally robbing us of our best possible relationship with our Father. I mean, think about it. Many of us are literally enslaved to those devices. We put them on the bed when we go to sleep. When we wake up, it's the first thing we touch, and we are tethered to those devices all day long in between. There's no time for quiet. And there is no time for God. But church, God shapes us in the quiet. God shapes us in the quiet. When we have nothing but his word and his presence, God shapes us. That's what prayer does. Our presence with our Heavenly Father through prayer shapes us into the Imago Dei, into the image of God that he created us in. And when we actually begin to look more like Jesus, people notice. People notice that we look like him. Oswald Chambers has a great quote. He says, it's not so much that prayer changes things as that prayer changes people and people change things. The last part of Paul's prayer beginning in verse 20 says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Beautiful verse. Beautiful verses. Those are what I would call coffee cup verses. And frankly, my personal opinion is all Christian coffee cups should be abolished. That's just me. <laughs> 
My own bias will say that and move on. But I think Paul is grounding us here. He's saying God can do way more than our minds can ever think or ask for, and that's the power that rests within us as believers. But we have to ask. God wants us to pray bold prayers. And that's the third lesson for us in this prayer is that God wants us to be people who pray bold prayers. Paul's saying we can't pray a prayer so big that God can't answer it. We should memorize that passage. We should ask God to do big things through our prayers because praying bold prayers actually makes us better at prayer. We should pray for the supernatural. And honestly, we shouldn't be surprised when the supernatural happens. I've got a friend at Stone Creek Church. They were off in Italy on vacation. His wife fell the first day of vacation, hit her head, went into um, unconsciousness, had a brain hemorrhage, and he sent out all of these prayer requests. And we prayed for her for three weeks. She got out of the hospital. She's back home now. She got home here in the States, got an MRI, and the doctor said it's an amazing miracle, but the brain bleed is gone. The hemorrhage is gone. Praise God. But Cliff and I were talking, and Cliff is like, I can't believe that happened. I said, Cliff, that's what you were praying for. Why can you not believe that it happened? And it's funny to me that we say that God is a God of miracles, and then we're surprised when we experience one. So what are you wanting for yourself? What are you wanting for your family? What are you wanting for your life? Whatever it is, it's probably smaller than what Paul is talking about here. Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, and I think for us, is that we think bigger, dream bigger, and pray bigger things for our lives. Not just that God would fill the gap between what we can do on our own and the bigger things we hope for, but that he would literally transform us into his image and then do amazing things with and through us. That people would look at you and look at me and that they would see Jesus in us. That they would be praying big, bold prayers like they've never prayed before. And that we would have the confidence that God would answer the prayers that we pray. Now before I move on, I just want to say one thing. I've had people tell me that they prayed fervently. And that they prayed boldly for something and that prayer wasn't answered. And if I'm honest, I've probably prayed things in my life for miraculous things that simply didn't have the outcome that I was praying for. But I want you to hear that that hasn't stopped me from praying bold prayers. What it's done is it's grounded me in the reality that God is sovereign and that he knows better than I do. And why he brings miracles in some circumstances and allows tragic things to happen in others, I'll never completely understand this side of heaven but as I've grown deeper in my relationship with father through prayer and as I've lived more of my life I've learned that he is always sovereign and that he always redeems what he allows and I've learned that my prayers need to be more about aligning me to father's heart than aligning him to my needs and desires do you remember Miriam and Marzier? On their 259th day in Evan prison, they were shackled as they were every week. 
They were led down a hall, but instead of being put before those guards for them to ask them to deny Jesus, they went down another hall and they were ushered into a van. And that van went down to the high court and they stood before the high court and the judge stood before these two beautiful women and said, you are free to go. Amazing miracle, answer to prayer. But they were also told that they would have to leave their country leave their families within a week, and never return to Iran, leaving everyone and everything they had ever known behind them. A few weeks after that day, Christine and I got a call from a friend who had been part of the group that was praying for Miriam and Marzier and for their release. And she said that the girls had made their way to Atlanta and they needed a place to stay, a place to make home, a place to live. And they just asked me because I was in real estate if I had any connections. Well, we had several uh, rental properties at the time. Oddly enough, one of those three days earlier had come free. And Christine and I didn't even need to pray about it. We were really clear that God had intersected us with these two women to provide them a place to be home in Atlanta. Over the next two years, we got to build a friendship with them. And we learned in great detail what they had gone through in prison just for refusing to deny a relationship with Jesus. Incredible, faith-filled, deeply prayerful women. And the more I got to know them, the more desperately I wanted what these women had. I wanted, I wanted the same boldness that they had to pray for the impossible. I wanted the same confidence that they had that God would actually answer their prayers. I wanted the trust that they had, that God knew what was best for them even more than they knew. And I remember Christine and me sitting with them over dinner one night and talking about prayer. We learned a lot, and toward the end of the evening, I asked Miriam, I said, Miriam, did you ever, while you were in prison, consider just telling the guards that you would deny Jesus and knowing in your heart that you didn't, but just say the words so that you could be released? And she looked at me, and her face got sad, and her eyes watered up, and she said, Oh, Mike, I could never do that to my Jesus. I knew he would answer our prayers. He always does. Those two women pray prayers unlike anyone I've ever known before or since with the confidence, expectation, and experience that God will answer their prayers. Church, what if we prayed prayers as big as these women with the boldness and the conviction and the faith that they have? What do you think God would do with prayers like that rising out of these pews tonight? And let me just say that bold prayers aren't once and done prayers. I've literally prayed some prayers for a decade or more before God answered those prayers. Bold prayers. Bold prayers are usually answered because we're consistent and persistent in our time with God. And so, what prayers are you praying? I mean, if I gave you a blank piece of paper and I asked you to write down all the things you're praying for, what would be on that sheet of paper? Or let me say it another way, if you got tomorrow everything that you prayed for today, what would you have tomorrow? Church, what if we consistently prayed prayers that our Father would do things in our lives that could never be accomplished but for God? 
in the fall, we're launching a 10-year vision for our churches. It's called X Multiply. It's going to be so stinking big that there is no way that we will be able to accomplish it but for God and the prayers of his people. As we close tonight, I want to go back to this prayer in Ephesians. I want to look at verse 14 through 19. And those verses are basically just kind of one massive run-on sentence. But the prayer is Paul's desperate cry for us. And I can almost imagine Paul getting down on his knees. And here's what he says. I pray, I cry out that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. The gospel. That there is a God and he is good. That there is a problem and it's sin. But that problem has been overcome by the person of Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is surrender our lives to him. Paul would cry out that you being rooted and grounded in love through the person of Jesus would comprehend the breadth and the length, and the height, and the depth of God's love. That you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul would say, and that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Paul is literally praying a miracle over the early church and over us. That we would embrace the mind-blowing love of God, and that we would experience all that life has for us. But church, we will never experience all that life has for us if we don't understand the love that God has for us. And we understand God's love best through prayer. There's a pastor, E.M. Bounds, back in the 1800s in his classic book, Power Through Prayer. He wrote, what the church needs today is not more or better machinery, not bigger buildings, new organizations, or more novel methods. What the church needs is people whom the Holy Spirit can use. People of prayer. Mighty people of prayer. In a moment, we're going to have a prayer team come up front. The band will come up and play for us. And we're going to invite you into a time of prayer. Now, that's something we've been doing as our churches in a more prolific way. But what I've learned over the last several months that I've met different people is that there are a lot of people that just say, hey, I'm not comfortable coming forward. I mean, I know people in the church, and I know they're looking at me, and I, I know they know what I'm going through. They know the brokenness in my life, and I'm just not comfortable coming up for prayer in that situation. There are some people here this evening that have said that. In their heart, they might not have said it out loud. And I hope that this evening you will come forward. And I don't know what you need prayer for tonight, but our sovereign Heavenly Father knows that. And maybe you're going through a divorce, maybe you lost a loved one, maybe you just found out about a terminal illness, maybe you lost your job. Maybe you've got a relationship within your family that's just breaking apart. I invite you to come forward tonight and to take a prayer position of desperation and dependence on God. He desires for you 
to reach out to him and to pray big and bold and courageous prayers and to trust him for his outcome. Let me pray for us. Father, I love you. I thank you that nearly 30 years ago, you made yourself so known to me and so appealing to me that I couldn't help but say yes. Yes, I surrender myself to you. I thank you that over the last 30 years, you have grown me in that relationship through prayer. I thank you for the model of so many people in my life who are prayer warriors that have taught me the power and the privilege of prayer. And my prayer tonight for our church is that we would have the boldness and the courage to walk into the uncomfortable, to walk into the unknown, and to simply trust you in prayer. In the beautiful name of Jesus, I pray.